0: Don't forget that you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org if you want to find the links to all of these great stories we're about to discuss. Let's go to our first one, health equity data surges. The All of Us Research Program, which is seeking to gather health information on 1 million-plus diverse Americans, announced two surge weeks, one for November and one for December, that are being used to boost enrollment in the program. The November week saw new signups from all 50 states, thanks to both national and community level efforts, resulting in more than 3,900 new participants, which was the best week ever for the program. All of Us is bridging gaps in what we know about health, By allowing anyone, but especially targeting underrepresented groups like LGBT folks, folks of color, and others to participate in the program and share information about their health. We've talked about it quite a bit here on the podcast and in the blog before, but you can go to joinallofus.org if you want to learn more. They also have a special page all about LGBT health and how their program is hoping to impact it. Next up, results from genetics research reported. Speaking of all of us, USA Today reported that the program has begun to share data on 150,000 participants who have taken the uh, optional additional step of sharing genetic information with the program. Fans of the Roundup may recall that we interviewed earlier this year, Dr. Anthony Foe on how um, genetics is important to the All of Us program. It's not the full part of the program. There's a lot of uh, health information that's gathered just by people answering questions about their health. But this optional additional step really provides a lot more information about how our genes and our, um, our health in general and social determinants of health all interact to make us who we are and inform the kind of care that we need. USA Today reports that while people from marginal groups such as Black individuals might be especially nervous to share this kind of information, especially with a government program, there's a lot to gain, such as knowledge about risk factors that people can use to proactively protect their health, and that's the information that's starting to come out from this program and come back to the people who have participated in it. And now our next story, U.S. considers loosening blood restrictions. Axios reported that the U.S. is considering plans to loosen restrictions on sexual minority men donating blood. The plan would change the current three-month deferral for men having sex with other men to an individual risk assessment based on recent sexual activities. The U.S. has slowly moved away from what was once a lifetime ban for any man who had had sex with another man to what's now a three-month deferral, with the most recent change having happened at the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. As you may know, that resulted in a big shortage in blood donations, which has continued to this day. Advocates say that lifting the rule, which has been described as being driven by stigma rather than science, would help raise supplies nationally and uh, help avert this crisis. Next up, Monkeypox gets renamed. Politico reported that the WHO would rename Monkeypox as Mpox as they attempt to reduce stigma surrounding the virus. While Mpox has existed for years, it began to show up across Europe, the US and elsewhere over the past several months, especially among sexual minority men. That trend was exacerbated during Pride Month and other summer activities. Politico noted that LGBT groups and public health advocates had called for a name change for some time and are likely to support the move, even though cases have subsided greatly since the summer height, and so definitely a little less attention being paid to the issue right now. Now, our next story, behavior change and vaccines improve MPOX outlook. On the subject of MPOX, the CDC released an update to its latest technical report evaluating national and state-level cases. They found that declines over the summer were most likely due to factors such as behavioral change because vaccination at that point was too new to have really had a major impact. They do, however, say that vaccination will likely lead to long term improvements in the outlook for the spread of Mpox because a lot of people have now received the vaccine and therefore are a lot less likely to contract and uh, spread Mpox to others. As of mid-November, almost 700,000 first doses of the vaccine had been administered across the country, as well as 400,000 second doses. Next up, bi folks less likely out to docs. USA Today reported on the challenge of enabling bisexual individuals to come out to their healthcare providers. Providers may be inclined to make assumptions about bisexual individuals' orientation based on the gender of their current partner or other factors, and even providers that have sexual orientation on intake forms may not complete them properly, as one story from, uh, from this news article explains." These factors, combined with broader issues about bi invisibility in our society, help to explain why bisexual men were about four times more likely to not disclose their orientation to a provider compared to gay men. Similarly, bisexual women were about 2.5 times more likely to not disclose compared to lesbian women. Coming out to one's provider is key to ensuring that one's unique needs and risk factors are considered when we are getting our care. Next up, CD4 count and COVID risk. JAMA published research finding that among people who are fully vaccinated against COVID-19, there was no increase in likelihood of a severe breakthrough infection for people living with HIV compared to people not living with HIV. A breakthrough infection, just as a reminder, is for someone who is vaccinated but still uh, contracts COVID-19. However, the study did find that people living with HIV who had a low CD4 count were at a 59% increased risk of severe COVID-19 compared with people not living with HIV. The results highlight the importance of ongoing vigilance with respect to COVID-19, even for those who have been vaccinated. And they also show how important it is that people are able to uh, access antiretroviral care and have um, their HIV properly treated so that they can keep their CD4 counts up. This is just another example of how that benefits um, health. So uh, hopefully this serves as a nice reminder, if you haven't gotten boosted, to definitely consider going out and doing so now that we're in a time of year when people tend to gather um, and stay indoors, it's especially important. Now, our next story, school board member bullied out. The Asheville Citizen Times reported that the city's first transgender school board member, possibly the only one in the state of North Carolina and one of a fairly small number across the country, resigned following repeated anti-trans attacks, including being misgendered at a board meeting. An Arizona-based hate group was responsible for the attacks, a trend that is apparently repeated in districts across the country. The incident is particularly troubling given the attacks that LGBT-inclusive school policies and curriculum materials have faced, including don't-say-gay-or-trans laws. Trans representation on school boards and other decision-making bodies could help to promote inclusivity. Next up, Trans Youth Report Poor Sleep Health. Michigan Medicine published a study finding that trans teens and young adults were about four times more likely than their cisgender peers to have a sleep disorder. Data from 1.2 million people, including more than 2,600 trans individuals, found that trans youth were more than five times as likely as others to have insomnia and were three times more likely than others to have sleep apnea or another condition. Not much research has been done regarding sleep health for trans youth, but the results are perhaps in keeping with what we know about depression and anxiety that trans youth tend to face due to issues in our society, such as transphobia and victimization. And that brings us to our last story, youth voice preferences for weight terms. Pediatrics published a study examining youth preference for different terms relating to weight. They found that sexual minority youth reacted more negatively to about half the terms compared to heterosexual youth, suggesting that they may be more sensitive towards these terms. Um, And this is what's likely the first study to uh, include sexual orientation when looking at youth preferences around different terms related to weight. The study found that the term curvy was one that was preferred by sexual minority youth compared to heterosexual youth. That was also preferred by girls over boys and by Latinx youth over white youth. So really interesting to see how some of these terms resonate with different demographic groups better than others, especially really stigmatized and you know, often offensive terms such as fat or clinical terms like obese. Black and Latinx youth also sort a of preference for the word thick. The results dig deep into how loaded terms about weight affect different youth differently. Um, This is really important for adults to understand, both professionals and parents, so they can avoid weight-related shaming or stigma. Definitely a cool study to check out. There were a ton of different terms that were tested and a ton of different results. Um, So These are just some of the top line items. That brings to an end another edition of our LGBT Wellness Roundup. Don't forget that if you want to check out any of these stories for yourselves, you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org where you will find a written version with all of the links that you need. Please tune in again next week for another edition of our Roundup.